Um, hey, listen, if you were here last week or if you follow us online with podcasts and stuff like that, you know that we started a teaching series called I Am Jesus, A Look at the Life of the Christ, and we're going to continue on with that. I said last week that a lot of times when people will begin kind of looking at the life of Christ or if they stick in the Gospels and stick to the stories and the stuff of Jesus, a lot of times they will start uh, when he's an adult. And they will maybe even start at the wedding of Cana and focus on parables or miracles. And we're certainly going to look at all that stuff too. But last week, if you were here, you noticed that we started with Jesus the baby and, uh, and, and taught some things there. There's not much that is said in Scripture about Jesus as a baby, but enough to derive some things about his family, himself. Um, at the end of last week's message, I gave some, some parenting pointers. And so I uh, got some great feedback If you weren't here, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Tonight, what I want to do is I want to teach about Jesus the boy. Can we do that? And interestingly enough, there's less information about Jesus as a boy than there is even as Jesus as a baby. But there is some stuff in there. So go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 2. I told you that we would keep going in Luke chapter 2 and talk about this. So tonight, we're talking about Jesus the boy. The boy Jesus, in fact, is how it says it in Luke chapter 2. Before we start into that, I was thinking about Jesus as a boy. I'm just trying to, again, there's not much said there about Jesus, the boy. And so you kind of have, the only reference point that you have is what we know about boys. And man, that kind of got me to my head spinning about what Jesus must have been like when he was a kid. Because he was truly a boy. When we were praying for Cat, this image popped into my head about when Cat, where are you at, Cat? Remember when you and Ava lived in the house in Lindell, and one night there was a game night that, that a bunch of people were over at her house, and, uh, and when we would always try to bring our kids with us as much as we can. And so, um, so everybody's playing games, and our boys are playing, running around. All of a sudden, there's this big, gigantic boom. And I knew instantly it was one of my children, you know. And sure enough, I think Rowan at the time was only like three. I don't even know how he did this. But he literally ran right through the screen door at John's house. you remember that? Do you remember that? I felt so bad. I was like, okay, hearings, let's go. We got everybody and ran out. I mean, that... So this week I'm thinking of stuff like that. We were, we were watching some old video clips. You know how whenever you... These iPhones and stuff now, you're... you're you take all these pictures and all these videos and they're just stored somewhere. And sometimes you don't even realize you have them stored and you forget about them because you take them like that and you forget them like that. You know, that stinks because we used to love to sit through the albums and, and all that kind of stuff and watch videotapes. But now you just lose that stuff. Well, we were looking through some old files, cleaning up the computer and, um, and we found a ton of video footage from our computer in our bedroom. It was sit on our desk in our bedroom and our boys, you know, it has microphone, or not microphones, uh, what do you call it? Cameras on it. So what our boys would do is they would go in there and they would push record and they would make all these silly videos. And so we have, I don't even know how many clips of the goofiest stuff you ever have seen in your life. They're in Superman outfits, hero outfits, they're jumping on the beds, they're screaming, they're fighting each other and they're laughing and giggling, making faces and half the time they're naked. You know, that's boys. <laughs> boys are almost always naked. And so there's, we were watching... And there's this one clip where uh, I think it was Aiden and Rowan and they're wrestling and Aiden was probably, I don't know, maybe nine. So Rowan would have been four little bitty guys. So they're wrestling. Aiden may have even been younger than that. But anyway, they're wrestling on the bed. Aiden's got this super 
man outfit on with a cape and he's jumping and they're wrestling and Rowan would jump on him and Aiden would jump on him and they're wrestling and they're just going, going. And then um, a lot of times Aiden would let them kind of win. So he would kind of fall down, oh, like I'm weak, you know, and they would jump on him. And so Aiden does that, oh, I'm weak. And Rowan jumps on him. And all of a sudden, Aiden gets his feet and goes, whoa. And if you're watching the video, you just kind of go, because Rowan shot across the room off the bed, literally shoots out of view from the screen of the camera, and you just hear boom. So I'm thinking this week, Jesus the boy. Because the idea is that Jesus was this perfect little, you know, never gets himself out of his car seat, never spills a big whole gallon of milk on the floor. You know, just this perfect little kid. And, and indeed, he was perfect. We know that through scripture. But you guys, Jesus was a boy. I think him and James and his other brothers and maybe even sisters wrestled and were, you know, just silly and goofy. And I don't know, they tore up Nazareth. You know what I mean? So Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. And we're starting in, I I tell you what, let's go ahead and start back in 39. It says, when they had performed, you guys there, Luke chapter 2, verse 39. It says, when they, talking about Joseph and Mary and the family, had performed everything according to the law of the Lord. And we talked about that last week, what that would have looked, what this means. They, They stuck close to the law as it related to Jesus the baby. They dedicated him because he was the firstborn son. They dedicated him. They circumcised him on the eighth day. We know that. And then they went through what's called a purification ceremony. We talked about all that last week. It was really good. I want to encourage you um, to go back and listen. They performed everything according to the law of the Lord. And then they returned to Galilee, to their own city of Nazareth. And if you remember that famous phrase, can anything come, uh, good come out of Nazareth? Can any good and good thing come out of that area? We know that it's just kind of a normal and not even a prestigious place. And that's where Jesus was from. And that's where Mary and Joseph were from. And and we talked about how they were probably poor. Joseph was a carpenter. And we know Mary. She was a a housewife. She stayed home. That was traditionally what women in the Jewish custom would do. They would stay home. They would raise the kids. And they certainly worked. But they did it at home. And so their family was very normal. Not anything prestigious. We know that. We talked about that last week. And it says in verse 40 that the child, did you notice that's a capital C in my Bible it is? Do you guys see that? The child, Jesus, continued to grow and become strong, increasing in wisdom. And the grace of God was upon them. And we talked about a lot of that kind of stuff. And we actually looked at this verse as well. Verse 41, it says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. Now, we're going to get into a story right here. And I just told you a couple stories of my kids, right? A couple of silly stories about my sons. I want you to think about Luke. Luke wasn't one of the disciples. He wasn't one of the apostles. He was a doctor. And he took it upon himself, all the accounts that were being written about Jesus in those days, he took it upon himself, being a physician and being very detailed, he wanted the most accurate story or retelling of, um, of Jesus as he could do. And so he looked, at, he listened to all the accounts and then he went and he interviewed people. And you guys, it is probable, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but it is probable that he sat down with Mary and said, tell me what happened. Most scholars do believe that Luke would have interviewed Mary. Okay? Can you imagine the stories he walked away with? 
And I think it's funny. He's like, I just can't. I don't have time to write all those stories. And so we kept it pretty brief, if you think about it. But I want you to think about what we are going to read. And this is more than likely a story that he heard Mary tell himself. Isn't that kind of cool? Okay, so here's what it says. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And I told you last week that it was customary for men, it was even according to the law, that men had to go journey down to Jerusalem from wherever they're from three times a year for what they would call pilgrimage feasts. There were seven feasts they celebrated, but three of those seven feasts were called pilgrimage feasts, and that's where the men had to show themselves at the temple and worship there and make sacrifices and all that. Those pilgrimage feasts are called um, uh, Passover, Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, and the other one is the Feast of Tabernacles, the very last feast that happens in the fall. And so this is the first of those feasts. And it says that his parents went to Jerusalem. Now remember, the men were the ones that were supposed to show themselves. You guys get that? But it says that both of them went. So Mary went as well. And this would have been a really big deal because you think for the wife to go to, it would have been a challenge enough for men to go because what, they got to leave work? I mean, they, he probably had jobs lined up that he had to put on hold. So he might have even been losing money if he had to turn down jobs for those, um, for those days. And then it would have cost to go on the trip. Did you know that it was from Nazareth to Jerusalem where he would have gone, it was 70 miles. 70 miles. And a lot of it was hilly. And then the last part definitely was, um, was up to Jerusalem. How many of you see that? I go up to Jerusalem. Why? Because Jerusalem is up on a hill. And so it would have been costly. It would have been a sacrifice just for Joseph to go. But according to Luke, Mary went as well. So think about that. Not only was it costly and a sacrifice for Joseph to go, it would have been a sacrifice for Mary to go, especially if she went and had to leave Jesus and James and some of the other kids at home. Because now they've got to find a babysitter, they've got to figure out all that. You guys understand the details of for them to go 70 miles a whole day away from Nazareth? It says his parents went to Jerusalem. This is important. The reason I bring that up is because it's going to be important later. Okay. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover. And look what it says. And when he, talking about Jesus, became 12... It says that they went up there according to the custom of the feast. So they always went. And then it says, and when he became 12, then he went up there with them. Okay, now let me pause right there and just say that there's several things. And all this is important. You're going to see why in in just a minute. But there's several things that are important about this age of 12. And I'm just going to show you a couple of them. At the age of 12, a boy was called by by the Jews a son of the law. When they turn 12, they are now a son of the law. And what that meant was, now they are accountable to keep the law. They, the, the, it was personal. It wasn't just your parents are going down to Jerusalem. Now he's 12. And now he is responsible, according to the law, to be a man and to go up there. Now there's certainly the bar mitzvah and all that kind of stuff, but there's some things that are unique to 12. At 12 years old, now he is a son of the law. And he is supposed to keep the law. One of the things is to go present yourself as a man, as a son of the law in Jerusalem for the feast, for one of the three pilgrimage feasts. But that's one thing. And as such, um, he would have done his sacrifices. He would have done all those things. Another thing is, is at that time, if you know anything about the feast, there's always prayer and fasting that go along with these feasts. 
And, uh, and the fasting was serious. If you didn't fast on these feasts, it was, you know, you're kind of rejected. So at 12, they began instruction on how to fast and even begin some preliminary um, participation in these fasts. Would they fast the whole time? I don't know. They were younger. They were just getting into it. But they had to start learning. Everybody listening to me? Start learning how to be a son of the law. And then another interesting thing, and you're going to see how this comes into play in a minute, is at the age of 12 is when a son officially took up the trade of his father. You guys understand? Became an apprentice. At 12 years old, that's when he would start. Again, we know about bar mitzvahs and how at 13 they, they're dedicated, but there's things that happen at 12, and that's one of them. It's interesting, and I'll, I'll just say this interesting fact. At 12 years old, they become an apprentice, and, and we're going to look at that. And, interesting. But at 30 years old is when they are able to, if they so choose, branch off from their father and start their own business. Did you hear what I said? At 30 years old, if they so choose to start their own business, their, you know, um, to go off on their own, they can do that at 30. Not until then, but at 30. Just off the top of our head, we know, what do we know about Jesus and the age of 30? It's when he started his ministry, isn't it? Okay? I want you to keep that kind of stuff in mind as we move forward, okay? So he's 12 years old. It says, at 12 years old, when he became 12, they went up there according to the customs of the feast. And as they were returning, after spending the full number of days, can I break that down for a second? It's all important for what we're leading to at the end. They spent the full number of days. Remember, there's seven feasts, okay? The first one is called Passover, but it's actually only one day. Passover starts on the Hebrew month, Jewish month of Nisan 14. The next day starts the second feast, and that feast lasts seven days, okay? And it's called uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, but typically they would call the whole eight days Passover. You guys understand? You're going down to Jerusalem for Passover? Yeah, I'm going to be there. But somebody else might say, are you going to go down to Jerusalem for uh, Unleavened Bread? Yeah, I'm going to be there. You're going to be there. I'm going to be there too. You know, so those are interchangeable. They could call it unleavened bread. They could call it Passover. They're interchangeable. You understand that? But the whole scene, the whole celebration, there's Passover when they would sacrifice the lamb. And then for the next seven days, they would celebrate um, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And there's all kinds of things that they would do in celebrating that. Um, but I want you to hear what it says. It says that they stayed the duration of the feast. In reading and studying, I read that most people, because of their things that they had to do back home, because of their prior engagements, because of their lives, most people would stay for Passover and maybe a couple of days of unleavened bread. But then they would head home. Because a week's a long way to be away from home, right? A week's a long way to put off a job that you have waiting. A week's a long way, a long time to pay a babysitter or to provide, you know, the necessary childcare or whatever. But it says that they stayed the entire eight days. That means something. We're talking about eight days of fasting, eight days of celebration, eight days of sacrifices, eight days of all kinds of stuff. And that's what it says. This is important for where we're going, okay? So they stayed every day. When it says, it says after spending the full number of days, how many days would that have been, class? Eight. And then I love this. It says... The boy Jesus. Everybody say, the boy Jesus. Isn't it hard not to 
imagine Jesus with a Superman costume on. If you think about it, what kind of costume would he have even worn? A Jesus costume? <laughs> I'm wearing my own costume, you know? Did he know what he would look like? Did he put himself a beard and a robe and, you know? I don't know, I'm just thinking out loud. It says that the boy Jesus stayed behind. So they're going to leave and go home. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. But his parents were unaware of it. They didn't know. But supposed him to be in the caravan. Let me pause and say that that's how they would travel. So probably family and friends, the big caravan of people from Nazareth, would journey the 70 miles, the full day journey to Jerusalem. And you know how it is. When you're, when you're doing something like that, the women, women are over there talking about cooking and sewing and the men are over here talking about hunting and fishing and the women are there and the men are here and he thinks she's got the kids and she thinks he's got the kids and, you know, but that's, I don't know if that's what happened, but it could be very, very well happened. What we do know is that Jesus stayed behind, whether he chose to be there or he was left there, he stayed behind in Jerusalem and his parents were unaware of it, but they supposed him to be in the caravan And they went a day's journey and they began looking for him among their relatives and acquaintances. I was reading on this and most scholars believe that they didn't realize that he was gone until they got back to Nazareth because it was a day's journey. And they're like, hey, where's Jesus? Y'all got Jesus? Hey, Uncle Fred, y'all got Jesus? Uncle Fred didn't know where Jesus was. They didn't know where Jesus was. And so, could you imagine, by the way, losing a Messiah? I don't know. I would start freaking out. I've lost the son of God. You know, what what do we do? Okay. And it says that they began looking for him among their relatives and their acquaintances. When they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem. We're talking about 70 miles back. Think about this. 70 miles to Jerusalem for Passover. 70 miles home. Oops, we lost the son of God. 70 miles back back. Could you imagine? It's not. I mean, if you really think about it, my word, it's like walking to Dallas and back three times within 10 days or so. It's, it's nuts. Then it says, after three days, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem looking for him. Then after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teacher's both listening to them and asking them questions. Now, when it says that they would have, they, they found him in the temple, it wouldn't have been in the temple because we know only the priesthood could go in the temple. They would have been in the courts. And he would have been in the courtyards with the priests and some of the teachers of the law. And what would happen is during Passover, the, the teachers of the law and the priests and Sadducees, they would come and they would gather in the courts and they would let anybody come in and they could um, ask questions. They would do this, this question answer thing. So the priest might ask them questions and they would answer. But they could also ask questions and the priest would answer. It was a great way for, those, um, for people to learn, especially those that weren't enrolled in um, religious school. Does that make sense? And so that's where Jesus chose to be. Now granted, maybe they just left him there and he didn't know where else to go. But I don't think that's what happened. Why? Because of what he says. Check it out. It says that they were, he was sitting in the temple amongst the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When they saw him, they were astonished. And it says, his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us this way? Because he's probably never done anything like that. He's probably never done anything that remotely felt wrong or rebellious. And all of a sudden, 
why did you do this? We just walked all the way home and all the way back because we didn't know where you, where you were. Why would you not stay up? How many times have you been in the supermarket and you've told your kids, stay with me? Come on, people. How many, how many times? You know what we just ended up doing? We make them put their hands on the buggy. It's like, boy, just put your hands on the buggy. All right, why? Because they're going to be in another store, you know, altogether. It's crazy. How many of you have lost a kid? Raise your hand if you've lost a kid. There's no shame in it. I take that back. Shame on y'all. <laughs> Losing your kids. What kind of people are you? I'm kidding. If Mother Mary can do it, then anybody can. Why have you treated us this way? And then look what she says. This is really important. Behold, listen, son. Your father and I have been anxiously looking for you. And then I want, to look, I want you to look at this. And he said to them, I don't know if you ever thought about this. I think about weird things like this. Of all the things that we know Jesus said, this is the first thing that we have recorded of him saying. Look what he says. Why is it that you were looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be about my father's business? Some of your versions say, did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? Why, why were you looking for me? Why were you frantically looking around? You should have known that that's where I would be. Or it could have been, why were you even having to look for me? You wouldn't left me here. We don't know exactly what he meant, uh, meant, but we do know this much. He said, did you not know that I would be about my father's business? And we know that he was 12 years old, and we just learned what that meant, right? This was the age where he was officially beginning to walk in the, the apprenticeship of his father. And in that moment, he found himself in a place of understanding. Whether the Holy Spirit showed it to him, or his mom's been prepping him, which is kind of what I, I really feel like, more than likely, talking about it. He says, did you not know that I would be about my father's business they didn't understand the statement which he had made to them and then it says he went down with them and he came back to Nazareth and he continued in subjection your versions might say that he continued in obedience to them and his mother treasured all of these things in her heart more things to treasure wow and I think she told Luke about them right and it says Jesus kept increasing in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Now let me, raise your hand if you're a parent in here. What I'd like to do is similar to last week, but, but a little different. I want to give you four things to consider while helping your kids grow in God's grace. Can I do that? Here's the first thing. And I want you to write this down. God will only be as important to your kids as he is to you. I want you to think about that, parents. God will only be as important to your kids as he is to you. Now, I don't know if you guys read this, but the first words out of a 12-year-old Jesus' mouth, I must be about my father's business. I must be about my father's business. I must be about my father's business. And I think the reason that that was important to him wasn't just because he had this all of a sudden, Holy Spirit, oh! I must be the son of God. I don't think it was that. I think Mary and Joseph have been sowing into him. Maybe literally, hey, you are the son of God. I don't know if you get that. You, mean, you know, in Isaiah when it talks, you are the anointed one. You know, I don't know if they did that. 
But if nothing else, the fact that they would go through the pains to head on down to Jerusalem every year at Passover, not just Joseph, but Mary. And what we saw earlier that they were, they performed everything according to the law as it related to Jesus' birth. They were about the law of God. And being about the law of God was a being about God. You guys understand that? And I think the reason that Jesus was so determined to be about the will of the Father, certainly he is the Son of God, but I think Mary and Joseph did something right in that they modeled that God is the most important thing in our life. And there's a greater chance for God to be the most important thing in your kid's life when they see that it's the most important thing in your life. Let's keep going. Church is one of the greatest ways to show our devotion to God. So if God will only be as important to your kids as he is to you, one of the greatest ways that we can show our devotion to God is by coming to church. Why? That's what they did. They took pains to be there. And then when they were there, they didn't even have to stay the whole time. Most people didn't. They would stay, stay for the, the initial sacrifices in the first days. And usually they would stay um, at least three days because the third day later was the Feast of First Fruits. See, First Fruits was the third feast, which pointed to the resurrection of Jesus, if you don't know that. And it was right in the middle of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So most of them would stay that long. Why? So they could celebrate three feasts in one. They got a threefer, you know? And then they go home maybe on the third day or the fourth day. But they didn't. It says they stayed the whole eight days. Why? Because they cherished it. They cherished it. And it's one of the only ways. I mean, you can pray, and certainly you need to be doing things at home. Okay? Obviously, we pray as a family. We read scripture as a family. We do what we can, worship as a family. Yes. But I think back then, and especially now, how do we show our kids that we are devoted to God? One of the ways we do that is we're faithful to be in the house of God. There's just something about that. When you make the effort, parents, to get your family there, even though you're tired, even though it's been a rough day, whatever the sacrifices is, guys, how many of you, it was a sacrifice to be here tonight, whether emotionally, mentally, or physically, you're here. And that communicates something. Church is one of the greatest ways to show your devotion to God. Where was he? He was in the house of the Lord. And what did he say? I must be about my father's business. And again, some translations say, did you not know that I would be in my father's house? Why? Because that's, that's where they were. That was important to the family. The third thing is, we must be careful that we don't impose our will upon our kids. Now, what do we know that happened at 12? Think about that. We know Joseph was a carpenter. If Jesus was going to start an apprenticeship, what was the expectation for him to be? A carpenter. Again, there's a little conjecture in all this that Joseph would, would have that huge, massive expectation, but even culturally, there was an expectation. These days, there's great expectations. They make movies about this scenario. Right? How many movies have we seen about the, the kid, the, the college kid that's ticked off because he's in medical school and he doesn't want to be medical school. He wants to be a painter. You know what I mean? You guys know they make movies about this stuff. But it's true. We have expectations of our kids. And we kind of have a will for their lives. 
and we groom them and we get them going on that will and we have expectations and when they don't meet those expectations, we're frustrated. When it's not looking the way we thought it was when we were, you know, giving birth to that child. And yet God, listen to me, if you get nothing else, God has a calling on every one of our kids' lives. A specific calling. Jeremiah 29, 11. The one scripture everybody knows. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. You know, Paul says what is in Ephesians. Um, talks about the, our calling in the Lord. This, this plan planned out for you before you were even born to do good works in Christ Jesus. There is a will for your kid's life, a calling. Now that doesn't mean that he's, your kid's gonna be Messiah. That's, that one's already taken up. It doesn't mean that they're gonna be a preacher or a missionary, but what it does mean is that I will be about my father's business. Even though my earthly father has something in mind, maybe, or mother, I, my first and foremost thoughts are about what my heavenly father wants for me. And whether I'm a doctor, I'm a lawyer, I'm a, I'm a painter, or I'm a carpenter, or I'm a computer programmer, or I'm a movie maker, or I'm a whatever it is. It doesn't even matter as long as at the end of the day, I'm about my father's business. Why? Because I know. I've been in the house of the Lord. The Lord was important to me and my family. And so I was just in the house of the Lord all the time. I was privileged to be in the presence of God so much that I've just discerned that this is what God has had for me. Did you not know that I would be about my father's business? Isn't that good? We forget that sometimes. We've got to be careful not to impose our will upon our kids. And we might say, oh, I'd never do that. We do it in ways that we don't even realize. We encourage them to have a relationship with Jesus. Because if they have a relationship with Jesus, it's all going to work out. Isn't that right? I would rather my kid have a relationship with Jesus and not do what I thought he would grow up to do than to grow up doing what I thought wanted him to do and not have a relationship with Jesus. Isn't that right? Come on, y'all are quiet. One more. This is simple and easy, but we need wisdom at every age to keep our kids on course. And when I say at every age, every age that we are, but everywhere, every age that they are. We talked about Jesus as a baby, and now we're talking about Jesus as a boy. You know, they don't really mention anything as far as I know as Jesus is a teenager, and I'm kind of sad about that, you know, maybe too. But we need wisdom at every age. There's no age that we, we back off or let off the intensity of our desire to see our kids walk with the Lord. No, there's not one. You do that, and you will, you will feel it very quickly. Very quickly. We need wisdom at every age to keep our kids on course. And what I love about this is that it says, um, but they did not understand the statement which he had made to them. And he went down with them and he came to Nazareth. So in that moment, he obeyed them. And it says that he continued in subjection to him. And what that means is that from that, forth, from that point on, even though he had some sort of revelation that he was the son of God and that his true internship was what? His true apprenticeship was what? <laughs> I'm headed towards messiahship, right? And even still, he was under their roof. He was 12. And it says that he subjected himself to them. And what did he do? He went home. He learned how to be a carpenter. 
He learned that trade. We know that. Scripture says, right? And if you've seen the Passion of the Christ, you know he made the first level-sized seating table, right? He invented that. Before then, they just sat on the ground. I'm kidding. But it is interesting. He subjected himself to them. And when was it that he said, okay, now, according to the standards of my community, since I'm a son of the law, when did he felt, feel like it was the right time? And ultimately, it's God's timing. But when did he decide, now it's time? When he was 30. Why? Because he was a son of the law. Don't you love that? As a father of three sons and a daughter, I wonder what my sons will be like at 30 years old. Will they be sold on the fact that they have a calling? Will they be pure? Will they have a testimony of God's faithfulness? Will they have kept themselves pure for their bride? I I don't know. I don't know what they'll be like at 30, but I know one thing. If I make God important to me, there's a greater chance. They can still, my kids can still do something stupid, but there's a greater chance that God will be important to them. Let's stand.